Take your Bibles to 2 Corinthians this morning, chapter number 8. I want to remind you of two very, very important things coming up in our church. Next week is our Give It All Sunday. Uh, just to avoid any confusion, you can give your Give It All offering even uh, in both services next week, and Sunday morning or Sunday evening. Sometimes that's a point of question and nobody really knows. You can give your Give It All offering in Sunday morning or on Sunday evening. It will go towards the big day. If you give an offering, just write Give It All offering on it. We're very excited about what the Lord's going to do. Our goal this year is a $100,000 cash offering on that day. You say, what are you going to do with $100,000? Well, spend it. I thought, thought that was pretty obvious. We actually, on Vision Night, uh, told our church exactly what we're going to do with it, uh, to, the, to the dollar amount, what we're going to do with it. Uh, we need a new church van, and uh, we need, uh, we're going to upgrade our parking lot lights to LED. If you've been here on Sunday evening or Wednesday evening, it's very dark in our parking lot. And so we've had some accidents out there, uh, folks falling, and uh, kids run through the parking lot. It's just very dark and dangerous, so we're going to upgrade that. And you say, well, Brother Andrew, I'm never here on Sunday night. Well, that ain't a me problem, that's a you problem. And so uh, my prayer is that you'd come to church and see those beautiful new lights that you had a part in paying for and maybe receive a blessing from Sunday night service. But, um, and then we have another, uh, we're going to retire some debt with the rest of that money. And so we're very, very excited about that. That's next Sunday, give it all Sunday. It's easy to remember, it's also Super Bowl Sunday, but that's by far the second most important thing on that day. The first most important is what the Lord's doing in this church. And so that's give it all offering next Sunday. And then the Sunday, uh, Saturday night before Sunday, we're going to have our family prayer night at the altar. And the hope is that our, our families would come out. There's no meal going to be served. There's no activities, no game time. Just a good old prayer meeting. And our, our families are going to get together and you're going to be able to pray with your family. You're going to come down to this altar and pray that the Lord would, would really allow us to meet our goal of $100,000. And more importantly, that the Lord would use that money for His glory. You never know what the Lord can do through a church van. A church van seems kind of small and insignificant, but maybe the Lord brings the next evangelist in on that church van, or He brings a pastor in on that church van. You just never know what God can do. And that's our prayer on Saturday night, is that families would gather around and pray that God uses this offering for the good of His kingdom. And so, uh, Saturday, that Saturday night, it'll begin at 6 o'clock. It really probably only lasts about 6.30, 6.45, but... That's a great thing for you and your family to be a part of. So that's Saturday night. Now, what's, what, what's happening on next Sunday? Can you all help me remember that? No, the Super Bowl. Yeah, of course it's give it all. So thank you all for paying attention to those announcements. That's very important. I didn't want you to uh, miss that. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. To be clear and right up front with you. Most of the offerings that are referred to, at least all the offerings that I can find in the book of, books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, are special offerings. In other words, it's not the weekly tithe or it's not a weekly obligation. All of these are spoken of in terms of a special offering given to accomplish a special 
purpose. And in most cases, it's actually all the times it speaks of these offerings, it refers to one offering in particular. Verse number one of chapter number eight, second Corinthians, the Bible says, moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now, what that verse means is the apostle Paul wanted the church at Corinth to know of a special grace that God had given the churches in Macedonia. He says, we do you to wit. In other words, he's saying, I want you to know about this because this is really remarkable what God's allowed them to do. Verse number two, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, and in, dil- in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, And to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. That ye through his poverty might be rich. And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you. Who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now therefore, perform the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. For if there first be a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened, but by an equality that abundance may may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. As it is written, he he that had gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered uh, gathered little had no lack. As I mentioned earlier, this is a special offering that the Apostle Paul is speaking of. 1 Corinthians chapter number 16, verses 1 through 4, he introduces them to this idea. You see, there was a great need for the poor saints at the church at Jerusalem. And so he was going through this missionary trip, and this is his second missionary journey, and he's encouraging these churches to give to this particular special offering so that he might take it back to the church of Jerusalem so that they might be a blessing and supply the needs of other Christians. Now you say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, it has to do with this. This was their give it all. 
He wrote to them and he said, hey, I want you to be preparing for this. I want you to be thinking about this. I mean, I want you to know that I'm going to be coming through. And when I come through, I want you to be prepared to give to an offering so that it might be a blessing to someone else. And he uses the churches of Macedonia as an example. Now, the Apostle Paul would have started these churches. This would have been the church of uh, Thessalonica, the church at Philippi, and the church of Berea. And these are the churches that he's using as the example. For we want you to know about the grace of God that he has given them to allow them to give in the way that they've gave. And he says, Corinth, get it in gear. Corinth, perform the doing of it. I thought about naming the sermon, just do it. He says, if there's a will, perform the doing of it. First Corinthians chapter 16, we assume was written sometime approximately about a year earlier because he says a year earlier you were prepared to give and now something's gotten the way. But those things that you meant to do a year ago now perform the doing of it. Just do it. The need's not changed. Uh, what God did in your heart has not changed. Just do it. And he uses the churches of Berea and Thessalonica, the churches of Macedonia, as an example for Corinth. They were giving the way that pleased God, and Corinth simply wasn't. I've been going to this church since uh, I was about two days old, okay? And... Uh, I, was, I think I was born on a Thursday night. I was here on Sunday morning in the nursery. That's it's just the way I've been. I've, I've been going to this church my entire life. We've done the uh, give it all offering. We've called it several different things throughout the years. We called it a prove your love offering. Obviously taken out of this uh, uh, passage here, prove the sincerity of your love. We've called it, we've tried to give it different names. You know, we've, a few years ago, I think we tried to give it like a, uh, to God be the glory offering. It doesn't take off. Everybody wants to just keep it, uh, give it all offering. And that's fine. Since I was about 12 years old, I've participated in this offering every single year. And in those years, I found that the most difficult thing that I've had to come up with is making sure that God was in my offering before I ever gave it. You say, what do you mean, Brother Andrew? Well, I mean this. Most of the time, the question for me is not, will I give? That's always been settled in my heart. Oh, of course I'm going to give. My church has taken an offering. They don't do it often. By the way, do you remember the last time our church took a special offering, not on Super Bowl Sunday? We don't do it around here. We give a one-time special offering once a year. And, and it's my opportunity to prove my love to my Savior. And so I, I look forward to this time of year. So the question for me has never been, am I going to give? The question for me is, how much am I going to give? And this is the second question I've always made sure to ask. How am I going to give it? You see, it's one thing to, to give money, but you can study the Bible and find there's all sorts of offerings that were given to God in the Bible that He did not like. You can study Isaiah chapter 1. Your new, moon, your new moons and appointed feasts, they are an abomination to me. Even the solemn meeting, God didn't want them to come to church because it just was not acceptable to Him. Cain and Abel, Abel's sacrifice was accepted, 
Cain's uh, was not. You see, so not only was I asking the question, how much am I going to give? But I needed to ask the question, how am I going to give it? And I don't just mean credit card or check or cash. I mean, how am I going to feel about the offering when I give it? What are my motivations going to be? Why am I doing it in the first place? These are questions I've asked myself. And for weeks now, I've been praying about, Lord, what am I going to do? How can I give in this offering that you would be pleased with it? Lord, what am I going to do? I've been trying to ask the Lord for this. And, and I've been trying to, you know, we kind of treat God a little bit like a magic eight ball sometimes. We pray the prayer. We want the number to just kind of pop to the top, you know. <laughs> okay, well, maybe later. <laughs> but that's not the way God works. I want to make sure that God is in my offering before I ever put it in the plate. This morning, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about making sure that God is in your offering before you ever give it. And in our scripture, we'll find this morning three ways to be sure that God is, in fact, in your offering before you ever give it. Number one, if God's going to be involved in the offering that you give, number one, your offering must be driven by God. Verse number one, the Bible says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit... Of the grace of God that was bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. You see, the churches in Macedonia were not just coming up with numbers. God had specifically given them a grace for giving this offering. It was a grace that He had given them despite their situation, despite their circumstances. In this chapter, in chapter 8 and chapter 9, the word grace or the Greek word charis, is used ten different times. The grace of giving. If we're going to give the right amount and the right way, we've got to make sure that God is driving us to what He wants us to give. Not all offerings are acceptable to God. But when we get God's grace involved in the way that we give, I find that we'll, that two things will occur for us. Number one, grace will allow us to give an offering with the proper motivations. My dad has taught me for a long time, motives matter. Motives matter to God. And so God wants us to give in the correct way. You'll find in verse number 3 that the Bible says this, For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power... I want you to read the next three words with me. Ready, go. They were willing... They gave an offering willingly. I've got to be honest, sometimes as a, a, a preacher, it's difficult to get up and preach on money because you sit there and you, you, you think, well, I'm going to be preaching on Sunday morning. We might have some visitors there. And their impression of our church is going to be that the only thing us Baptists ever do is talk about money. Uh, and for uh, our church members, you know that really we only talk about money in the month of January, uh, February, and any of the other ones that kind of rhyme with airy. All right? But that's all right. No, really, we kind of confine the way that we speak about money to January. We call it our month of stewardship. But we do. There's a concern in our heart that maybe you just get kind of tired of hearing about money. And, and, and that is such a foolish thing because the Bible speaks a great deal of our money. The Bible says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
preacher preached a message last year that, that taught me that you can intentionally direct your heart toward heavenly thinking by directing your money there first. If you invest in heavenly things, the Bible assures us and promises us that your heart will be where your investments lie. You see, it's not a sad thing to talk about money. It's a needed thing to talk about money. And we got to make sure that the grace of God is in our giving so that we have the right motivation when we give. Notice in verse number 7, it wasn't that the church of Corinth, while they struggled with uh, doctrinal error, while they struggled with carnality and sinful desires, verse number 7 does allude to the fact that they, they were actually progressing in their faith. It says, therefore... As ye abound or are full in everything, in faith, they were full of faith. And utterance, oh, they weren't scared to speak what they believed. And knowledge, oh, they knew the word of God. Uh, And in all diligence, they were diligently working for the cause of Christ. As ye abound in all of these things, and in your love for us, see that ye abound in this grace also. You know what the knowledge of Scripture does to you? Do you know what being full of faith towards God does to you? Do you know what being completely committed to the cause of Christ does to you? Well, it ought to do something to you. If if you are full of faith and you're full of knowledge and you're full of utterance and you're, you're full of all diligence to your commitment to the Lord, if you're full of all these things, the Apostle Paul is simply saying... Let that fullness step over into the action of the grace of giving. Knowledge is only valuable if you actually act upon that knowledge. Faith is only legitimate when you follow the Lord in faith. So he's saying you can have all of these things, but make sure that you have this grace also. How do we give with a proper motivation? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter number 9 Verse number 7, the Bible says, Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. God wants us to be willing. God wants us to be joyful as we give to Him. And I'll just tell you right now, if you cannot give joyfully or willingly, probably you shouldn't give at all. Because God is not going to be pleased with your offering. See that you not only know the Bible. See not not only that you say you have faith, but abound in the grace of giving. And what I found is the closer we come to the Lord, the more happily you'll give to Him. In the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 25, when they're collecting uh, an offering for the tabernacle that was to be in the wilderness... The Bible says, speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly. He only wanted the offering of people that would give willingly. If somebody was going to give with a bad attitude or, or grudgingly, he didn't want it. Of every man that's willing to give with his heart, ye shall take my offering. David, when he gave to the temple's construction, he said, I know also, my God, that thou triest the heart. Meaning God, it matters to God what's going on in your heart. By placing an envelope in the offering plate, that is not enough. For I know that thou triest the heart. 
and hast pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of mine heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And giving and offering our attitude is as, is as important as the amount. And our motives is as important as the money. How do we make sure that we have the right motives and the right attitudes? By making sure that you're driven by the grace of God to give. The Bible teaches that there's a group of people that would do their righteous deeds and, and would give at alms publicly. So that for the praise of men, that's why we've got to guard our motives. Because every, at least for me, maybe I'm just the only carnal one in the room, but we have to fight that. We have to fight making sure that others know. We've got to fight that. And if that's your reason for giving that, so that preacher's impressed with you, don't give at all. It's not going to please God. So we've got to make sure that we're driven by the grace of God. And this grace will allow us to have the proper motivations. Not only will it allow us to have the proper motivations, but it will allow us to give in difficult situations. Verse number two, the Bible says, he's telling them about these churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. Now, we don't know exactly what was taking place in the churches of Macedonia um, we don't know exactly what this great tribulation was, this great affliction. Most people believe that they were under tremendous persecution. The churches of Macedonia would have primarily been Gentile churches, therefore they would have been in a Gentile area, so Christianity was not uh, 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 Jewish there. And so there would have been a lot of people that looked down on the religion. There would have been a lot of people that would have persecuted them. You, you kind of see a little bit of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. The letter was written by the Apostle Paul, most people believe, while he was still in Macedonia. And he says... For when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus. The apostle Paul was fearful. And I get the idea that Paul was kind of one of those guys that would charge hell with a water pistol. He says, but when we were there, my flesh had no rest. It's like every night there was fighting in the streets. Every night uh, outside were fightings and inside was fear. And that's kind of the situation these people would have been in. And then the Bible tells us, it uses this word in verse number two, their deep poverty. Now because of the affliction, I'm not entirely sure what it was. It could have been a civil war in the area. I, I really don't know, but I know that they were under great affliction and that affliction had led to deep poverty. And that word there, deep poverty, literally means rock bottom poverty. Down to the depth poverty. I can honestly say I don't, I've not been there very many times, but they were there. I was there one time in college. I remember my freshman year, about three weeks into the school year. I went to college with oh, about $2,500 of uh, cash in my bank account. And that was kind of what I had to live on. It started there and, and I was going to be able to, you know, get stuff, maybe go out and buy the occasional Little Caesars pizza and, you know, get through college. And, and uh, I had been managing my own money for quite some time. 
And I'll never forget going out to college for the very first time. I began to live out there like I lived at home. You know, when dad asked me to go to eat, sure, dad, I'll go with you to eat. But I tried to do that while I was in California. About three weeks into the school year, after I had gone to Kohl's and bought an entirely new wardrobe to impress a girl, uh, after I had uh, gotten all this food, I mean, I was eating out every single day. After I had done all this, I'll never forget my card being declined. First time it had ever happened to me in my entire life, my card was declined. And I thought to myself, there's got to be a mistake. In fact, my, I called my dad. I go, Dad, I think what happened is I gave my card to a guy at Taco Bell and he kept it a long time. And I think, I told my dad this, and I'm, I wish I were making this up. Dad, I think he took my card, took it in the back and took a picture of it and has been using it. It's the only explanation I can think of. Well, come to find out, as we started to look at the statement, every purchase was done not by the guy at Taco Bell. It was done by this fool right here. And I was now in, I was overdrafting with every purchase I was making, $32 charge. Man alive, that was not a pleasant phone call with my father. I spent $2,500 in three weeks trying to impress a girl. How foolish is that? That's rock bottom poverty. That's where these people were. They had no money. And this affliction that they were in, it was a actual, literal, physical affliction on the outside. And this affliction had led to this rock bottom poverty. And the apostle Paul says, and I'm using them as my example, because in the midst of that, this grace allowed them to give more than anybody else could have ever hoped that they would give. This morning, I have no doubt that this year has not been kind to some people already. Uh, you have an entire government shut down. You have some people not even drawing a paycheck. I'm quite certain there are some people in this room today that could say, Brother Andrew, if it's not rock bottom poverty, I ain't got a long way to go to get there. By the way, that doesn't exclude you from giving. It didn't exclude them. Fearful, or fear-driven logic is the enemy to faith-filled offerings. When you can understand it, it doesn't please God. When you think you can balance the paycheck after it, I don't think it pleases God. Because these folks gave beyond what they thought was even possible. Just as persecution did not take away their joyfulness, neither did their poverty diminish their ability to give. If we're going to give an offering that God is already in before we give it, we must make sure that this offering is driven by God. Secondly, we've got to make sure that this offering delights God. And God has a very specific way for how we can delight Him with our offering. He uses this church of, uh, these churches of Macedonia as an example, and I want you to see three quick things this morning. Number one, they gave beyond their power. Verse number three, for to their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power. The Macedonians didn't just give what they thought they could give, or as much as they could give. They gave beyond what they could give. I'll never forget 
I grew up in church. I went to youth camp every year, even when I was not a camper. And one of the camps that we went to had this big, tall, repelling tower. And I remember as about a 10-year-old, I wasn't quite a teenager yet, wasn't in camp yet, but I saw it and I wanted to repel down that wall. So they let me, they put on the straps and the harness, they put on the helmet. I climbed all the way to the top of that tower and as they began to clip in the carabiner, that would allow me to go down the wall. I'll never forget, he, he had me kind of backing up to the ledge and he's talking me through this. And I get right to the ledge where my heels can touch the wall as it goes straight down. And I said, I ain't doing this. I backed out, I chickened out. There was no way I was doing that. I got all the way to the top, that wasn't the problem. The problem was trusting that that rope was going to hold me. I then became a camper, and now, you know, buddies are there, they're involved. Peer pressure, it's such a wonderful thing, isn't it? Isn't it? It's great. Uh, then there's girls there, you know, that I'm trying to impress as a 12-year-old acne-filled kid that I was. You know, I'm trying to impress the girls, trying to impress my friends. So I, I go up the tower. This time I'm fully committed. I'll never forget the fear that was in my heart when I was going through the same process that I had gone through just a few years earlier and he's talking me through it and I'm backing up towards the wall and my, my heels begin to touch the wall and he says, now just lean back and you, you've got your one hand on the top rope and then you've got your uh, second kind of like tag rope down here and, and you're leaning back and you're leaning back and you're leaning back and you're so scared you don't know what's going to happen and there is a moment at that, at that particular moment when, when the power transfers... And you're no longer trusting in yourself, but you're trusting in the rope. There's a moment in time, and that is the scariest moment. No, it's not standing at the highest point. No, that's not the hardest part, because if I'm standing, I'm good. I, I've got it under control. It's not coming down the wall, because then you've already faced that battle. You, the, you've tested the rope, you've trusted the rope, it's good. The scariest part is the transfer of trust. From when we go from us to the rope. When the Macedonians gave beyond their power, what they were doing was they were trusting the rope. They were trusting that God would be in the offering and that God would take care of them after the offering. They gave beyond their power. The Bible says, but without faith it is impossible to please Him. That means an offering that does not uh, that is not endorsed by faith is an offering that he will not endorse. An offering that is not given in faith is an offering that he will not accept. They gave beyond their power. Number two, it wasn't that they gave this offering. It's in verse number five, you'll notice they began with their person. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord. Amen. You see, that's what really stewardship and giving a, an offering is all about. Amen. I got to thinking about this thought. If you can figure out how to put yourself in an offering plate, a big check is pretty easy to figure out. If you can figure out how to squeeze yourself in there, the check's no problem. Yeah. God wants you. 
And most of the time when we give offerings and, and we, we don't get God involved in it to begin with and we just give what's comfortable, we give what's normal, we give what we've always done. When we do that, we're not giving ourselves, and we're not proving the sincerity of our love. We're just simply saying to God, this is how I feel about you. This is my annual payment for blessings. No, no, no. These people in Macedonia, they gave themselves. And, and what's even greater about this is they beg Paul to let them give. Wouldn't it be nice if one year somebody comes up to preacher in December and says, Preacher, I am so excited about stewardship month. Can you just go ahead and give me your references before? I'll study them before you get there. I want to know what's going on in stewardship month. Preacher, I am looking forward to stewardship. Get done with all this Christmas stuff. Bring on the right on the money. And that's what they were doing. They were looking forward to it. They begged Paul with much entreaty that he would allow them to give. Maybe the Apostle Paul says, no, no, no. Y'all had a hard time. I mean, I, I've been here. I know how difficult it is. People are struggling to make ends meet. It's, it's been tough. By the way, sometimes the preacher's expectations of you are smaller than God's expectations of you. Sometimes preachers in their in their flesh and in their humanity, that we just kind of say, you know what, it has been tough for you. I understand why you can't give this year. I understand. And yet the Bible says that they said, no, Paul, please let us give. Please let us give. Don't rob us of this blessing. We, we want to pardon this. You know why they were like that? Because they had already given themselves totally to Christ. Everything else was just simply easy to give. Not only did they give beyond their power, not only did they begin with their person, I want you to see, thirdly, this was born out of their passion for Jesus. Verse number 8, the Bible says, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. I find it interesting they use that word sincerity there. I have written some notes throughout the course of my life. And even as I write them to this day, and you call me weird, you call me crazy, but I found I don't know how to end my notes. My salutations are a little off. I've always found it odd to write sincerely. Sincerely, Pastor Andrew. Not because it's not a good word, but, but because basically I'm just verifying everything I've just said. It's like, you know, we look forward to what God's going to do in our church. We love you. We're praying for you. Truly, Andrew. Because sincerely means honestly. It means truthfully. It means authentically. And so what, what Paul is encouraging them to do is to prove the authenticity of their love. I've always thought it was a little weird, so I've tried uh, in Christ, Pastor Andrew, because by the way, I am in Christ. Amen. I am. Uh, I've tried your friend, but what if we ain't friends, you know? I've tried all sorts of things. But Paul says, there's nothing mushy-gushy about this. I think that's the reason I don't like using sincerely, is I'm not a very affectionate guy. I'm not all bubbly. I'm not much of a hugger. You know, and sincerely kind of seems like a little bubbly. But, but, but Paul says, no, 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 it's not. It's not mushy-gushy. It's you're proving the sincerity 
of your love. And then he uses in verse number 9 the example of Jesus' love for us. And he says this in verse number 9, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This whole time he's been encouraging them, them to give because of the grace of God in their lives. And he says, oh, don't forget about the grace of Jesus. Yet, for though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. That ye through his poverty might be rich. And he uses the ultimate example of love to be the way that we should give in love. He says, hey, give and love, prove the sincerity of your love, but don't forget the reason you love him is because he first loved you. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible also says in 1 John chapter 4, 10, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The example in all giving is Jesus. All we're doing is following his example. The Bible says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. You know why we give an offering that is motivated purely by love? Because the offering that he gave was motivated purely by love. He had nothing to gain by giving us Jesus. He had nothing to gain. He was already king of heaven. He had no, no rights or, 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 or any type of accomplishments to prove to anybody. We gained Jesus as he lost everything. We give because of that. Prove the sincerity of your love. An offering that delights God. First of all, an offering that is driven by God. And then thirdly, an offering that is designed by God. See, God has a specific plan for how he wants an offering to be given in a church. You'll see these two items about this. Number one, the responsibility is corporately shared. Verse number four. Praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. At these three churches, the church at Philippi, the church of Thessalonica and the church of Berea are all working together so that the church at Jerusalem would be taken care of. The apostle Paul is using their example uh, to the church at Corinth. And he's saying when we were there, they were praying to us that we would take on the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. What that means is they had already taken it on. You see, fellowship, we call, we'll have like an ice cream fellowship after service. And we kind of know that word to be like we go and we fellowship with one another. We talk to each other. We have laughs. We have a good time. But this word here means that it's an endeavored venture. They've, they've gone at it together. And, and the churches of Macedonia just simply said to Paul, Paul, we've already taken on this fellowship. We're pulling one side of the yoke. Why don't you pull the other? 
We can give, why don't you deliver? We can get it together, but why don't you take it to them? Why don't you take the, the, the offering that we'll give? There is a corp, uh, cooperatively shared responsibility. And that's why in Romans chapter 15, verse 26, Paul says, For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. They were working together. These saints, these Gentiles were giving to these Jewish believers. They had likely never met them. They had likely never been to the church at Jerusalem. Yet they enjoyed to enter into this venture because they thought it would please Christ. They were working together so that the mission might be accomplished. The reality is, I don't know how you feel about our goals this year. I'm not sure how you, if you care at all about LED lights or if you care at all about uh, a van. I'm not sure how you feel about those things. But I know this, God has laid on our heart that these are some things that our ministry certainly needs so that we can effectively minister to our community. The Bible says a city that is set upon a hill cannot be hid. Well, it can be if there's no lights on. So we want when people to come over this hill for our church to be the church that is up on a hill. And we want people to see our church and recognize our church. And we want this van so that we can go out and we can take senior saints to activities. And we can uh, take the Spanish church to activities. And uh, by the way, the Spanish church approached us in December and said, Brother Andrew, will buy a church van. And that's how bad we need one. You see, uh, I don't know how you feel about this, but, but whatever you feel... It is not just Preacher and Andrew charging these missions. It is you. There is a cooperative responsibility. We share in this together. And every soul that walks the aisle and asks the Savior into their heart, it's not Preacher and Andrew doing it. It's you and I laboring together for the cause of Christ. This offering that is designed by God, everybody will have a responsibility in it. But not only is this cooperatively shared, I want you to see, secondly, that it is corporately spread. Notice in verse number 13, the Bible says, For I mean not that other men be eased and ye be burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. Now, everybody cannot give the same. Not everybody can give as big a check as another person can give. But everybody ought to give. And this principle in Scripture here is that there would be an equality. Not an equality in the amount of giving or the amount that is given, but an equality in the responsibility to give. And what's sad about this is the churches at Macedonia, remember, they're at rock bottom poverty level right now. They're in great affliction. They're struggling. Everything's going wrong for them. There's persecution on every side. And yet Paul is using them as an example. And we find here that the church at Corinth has an abundance. And it would seem more appropriate to me that he would be writing the churches of Macedonia and saying to them, hey, I know times are tough. But God still wants you to give. But that's not the way it is. He's writing to the church at Corinth who has abundance. And he's saying, hey, by the way, look at what these with so little are doing and you have so much. I read a statistic yesterday. I don't know how true it is. I couldn't validate it. 
But, but the statistic essentially claimed that the lower income members of a church, in almost every church, support the church more than the higher income. I can't validate that. I don't know if that's the case at all. And I would say that there have been some folks in our church with high incomes that have supported this church for years and years and years. But I do know this, that in a church, 20% of the members do 80% of the work. I know that there's a lot more people than there are a lot more volu- than there are volunteers. And that ought not be the way it is. Because we're in this together. And, and in giving an offering, the only way we're going to arrive at our goal of $100,000, the only way we're going to get there is if we work together. That there is an equality of responsibility that every man gives as God hath prospered him. By the way, God don't prosper us all equally. There's a passage in the Bible where a man goes to a far country and one man receives one talent, another man two talents, and another man five talents according to his several ability. Hey, you might have more ability than somebody else. That doesn't mean that that other person should not give. There ought to be an equality of giving. Shame is, is when we dismiss our responsibility because times are tough. Or we dismiss our responsibility because, oh, you know, it's the Christmas bills are coming due. We dismiss our responsibility because we're full of fear instead of full of faith. We dismiss our responsibility because we can understand certain times and we can't other times. I was doing some research the other day and I found out that the NFL gives 150 Super Bowl rings to every NFL franchise when they win. The limit on the amount that these rings can cost is $7,000. But the NFL actually pays for 150 rings. That seems odd to me, given that there are 53 players on any roster. You can't have more than that. You have uh, coaches, obviously, and there's a head coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, quarters, quarterback's coach. You have uh, you have kicking team, uh, special teams coordinator. You have uh, running game coordinator, passing game coordinator, defensive backs coordinator. I mean, there's a lot of folks involved there. There's towel boys and water boys, and there's all sorts of guys. Have you seen the guys that hold the screen in front of the referee who's probably going to get the call wrong anyway? Have you seen those guys? Why does the NFL give 150 rings? Sure, the quarterback may have had more responsibility in winning the championship than the assistant head coach to the special teams coordinator. But everybody gets a ring. You know why? Because the NFL understands that no matter how small your part is, you still had a part. It's actually quite amazing they give these rings to players on injured reserve that never played a down of football for them. They give these rings to players who mid-season might have even been traded. If you had any responsibility, you get a ring. The NFL understands this concept, but I wonder why our church doesn't. That no matter how big your part, it's still a part. I was, I, I was giving in an offering when I was 12 years old. By the way, those checks were very small. Not many decimal points on those. Not very many commas there to separate, you know, hundreds from thousands and tens of thousands. No, no, no. But I still had a part. What's your part going to be? And make sure that when you give your part, 
God is in your offering before you ever give it. Otherwise, it certainly will not please him.